0: Welcome to
2: the TWS Sports
0: Podcast.
2: out how good you are. I know how good I am.
3: Having three children with autism and being around them all the time, they make me better as well.
0: If Logan should have missed that kick, I'd have been moving house. (laughs) But my favourite one that really made me was my love triangle with Triple H and Stephanie. And uh, how did you get this story? How did you know about this Mm -hmm.
2: Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Techno Wood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off as we've recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the best equality and social sports podcast. If that's enough for me, I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you. Before we start today's episode, I just want to mention that Yairn is actually recording this in the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. So we do apologise for some of the background noise. You do hear, I think, the fire alarm goes off at one stage, and you do hear the tannoy system go off. Um, But it doesn't last last long, so please bear with us and continue listening. And I apologise again for any any background saying that you do hear.
1: Tech Norwood School is a school for autistic children and young adults. And we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sports men and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former Welsh rugby player. He played 72 times for Wales and seven times for the British Lions. Welcome to the podcast, Ion Evans. Welcome. Welcome, Ian. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much, Adam. Delighted to be on here. We'd like to start our podcast with some quick fire questions before we start, talking about your rugby career. Are mm-hmm. you ready? I'm ready. If you could go back to one day in your life, what would it be and why?
3: Ooh, one day in my life. Leading my country out. That's, you know, it's not about a badge. It's not about a jersey. You're representing the hopes and aspirations of a nation. And leading the team out in front of, as it was, you know, um, the stadium as it was, it was a national stadium when I played. It's now the Principality Stadium. There's no finer feeling. It's uh, it just the hairs. When I didn't have hair, uh, I haven't got it <laughs> But you know, it sets the hair on on the back of your neck. That is the most addictive part of of playing sport. Is getting that feeling um, that you get through hard work. And but leading my country out, is a it's a massive responsibility, but the greatest honour you could ever have is leading the nation out. So if I could do if I could do anything again. It will be that I'm too old to be able to cope with the uh, with the demands of playing elite sport now. But I'd love the moment to be able to run out uh, ahead of everybody else and lead my nation out in front of seventy or thousand people. Um, there's nothing like it.
1: Who is the most famous person in your phone
3: book? In my phone book, Will Carling. Here we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you could trade Lars with anyone for a day,
3: who would it be and why? If I could change lives with anybody for the day, Messi. Yeah, it'd be a good one. That's a good choice. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a Messi for the day, or or more Salah, because I'm a Liverpool fan, and um, he is in such a vein of form. One of those two. He is. I say he's
2: probably the top. Well, the top players in the world at
3: the moment, isn't he? Yeah, he yeah. Very well. He's in such. He's in our place, and being a um, former international rugby player, you know when you're in the zone. When things are just, everything you touch just turns to gold. And Mo Salah is in that place at the moment. Uh It's just, uh, he's in astonishing of so, uh, form. So, yeah, one of those two. Yeah, that's us. It.
1: That sounds... When you were a child, what was your earliest memory of rugby?
3: My earliest memory of rugby, probably uh, going to watch my dad coached, um, so probably uh, my Tamar in Queens, which, is my lo- which was my local side, he coached the youth side, so probably I'm um, going to watch them play. Yeah, I'd say that. I would say my life changing moments and uh, abiding memory, uh, the first international game I ever saw is a very famous game. Uh, it was New Zealand against the Barbarians in Cardiff in 1973. Uh, I was nine years of age. Um, the world's slightly different place now. Uh, my my dad took me, but he could only get one terrace ticket and one stand ticket. So he left me <laughs> in the stand. Um, he gave me the stand ticket. He put me in the terrace and left me there and came back to pick me up after the game. Um, gave me a, you know, a can of pop and a pack of crisps <laughs> down between a bunch of strangers um, and said, I'll be back for him afterwards. Check to the stewards. Can you keep an eye on him? I'll be back. Obviously, it wouldn't happen these days, but it's one of the most famous games in rugby history. Um, if you got a chance to look on YouTube, um, have a look at that game. Uh, it's very with a very famous try by Gareth Edwards very early in the game. Um, Barbarians versus New Zealand in 1973, and that was my first international game I ever saw. The first game I saw in Cardiff, astonishing, and that made such an impression. And it shows the importance of youngsters to be able to see games, to be able to be inspired by people. I got inspired by players on that field to do what I needed to do, you know, to, to play for my country some way down the line. I had dreams. I didn't really know, think I was going to realize those dreams. I had dreams of playing for my country, even as a nine-year-old, everyone does. wasn't sure whether I was ever going to realize them, but those moments inspire you. And um, that game inspired me. So, yeah. Yeah, watching my, watching my dad's youth team play and that game.
2: You talk about the bar- Barbarians there. What a unique thing that is in, in sport, because I can't think of another sport where the best players in the world come together to play against a team. Well, you played for the bar- Barbarians, didn't you?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What was it like to play for them?
3: Yeah, in so many ways. it's There are some traditional values there that, that I find really challenging to bring into a professional environment in the modern game because it's there for real Corinthian sort of ideals to inspire, to entertain and um, they fulfill an important role. You know, it's, I suppose the other team where it's, you know, there aren't, there isn't anything else really to to sort of compare with other sports, So the British and Irish Lions, where four countries come together and in a space of a fortnight, you have to gel as a team to take on one of the best teams in the world in their own backyard, you know, that's, you know, it, in in a, in an elite environment, it shouldn't ever work, but it does. And it's you know, it's one of my greatest moments is playing for the British and Irish Lions with a bunch of people that I've been playing against all year. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, you come together. It's it's if you were a blank sheet of paper, you know, you wouldn't design it like that. That's why it's such a an incredible entity. It's just an incredible thing uh, that we should treasure. Uh, the British and Irish Lions. It's, you know, it's... But similar to, to the barbarians in, 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 in regards of bringing people together very quickly to take on one of the leading teams in the world. You know, but that's that's the beauty of rugby and what it offers.
1: You made your Wales debut in 1987 in Paris.
3: What are your memories of making your debut? Running out, which is the old Parc de France where Paris Saint-Germain play now. France no longer play there. They play in, in Stade uh, de France, in Saint-Denis. But the old park de France is, as as in it, you know, it's a lot of concrete, it doesn't, it's the best-looking stadium. But what an atmosphere. Stunning. It's You run onto the field, and back then there were fireworks going off, smoke in the corner, band playing, cockerels on the pitch, cats, dogs, you name it. It was just <laughs> amazing. But you know what? He said, oh, I want to do this again. It's that ability. It's just a cacophony of noise. It's just the noisiest stadium you could possibly play in. Just when the noise went round and round and round. And um, the thing is, you don't remember the game. The game kicks off. Back then, you sort of disappeared under the stadium on the the team bus. And you saw everybody surrounding um, all the bars and stuff around the stadium. So people everywhere disappeared. Everything went quiet for a bit, and then you come out of the bowels of the stadium onto the pitch, boom, and the noise just hit you. And the game kicked off, and the game finished, and I couldn't remember anything of the game. <laughs> <laughs> it was over in a flash, my first cap. And nothing prepares you for the speed and intensity and the, uh, the atmosphere of an international game. It can't, you can't prepare for it. Um, you're told about it and he sort of, yeah, okay, okay. All of a sudden this, all your senses get pummeled, boom. Uh, hearing, you visually, you know, everything about it, your senses get pummeled and he said, I want to do that again. <laughs> well, I want to go back out there again. You know, that's, that's the indicative nature of of, of of international sport and I can't remember the thing the game. I do remember nearly missing my cup ceremony afterwards because I, I met a few people from in my hometown, who travel out to watch my first game. And as I came off the team bus to get changed to go to the official dinner, because back then we had dinners on my cup ceremony, um, I was downstairs in the bar having a chat with them. And um, only to be told, being uh, one of the uh, the selectors at the time, marching down to the bar looking for me, uh, because when they called my name out to present my cap, I wasn't there. So it was my first cup. and did very nearly my last cup. I had a severe rollicking and, and um, told him not to do that again. So, um, yeah, there were two people having a cup. And the first guy got his cup, um, Kevin Phillips, was a hooker. And then they called, oh, Jain Evans, um, the president. is going to award a cup to Ian Evans and no sign of Ian Evans. <laughs> so, um, yeah, can you imagine the players afterwards? When I did, they did eventually march me up to the room. The players loved this. They thought it was the greatest thing ever. I was mortified because I thought my career was over just as I started. So, um, yeah, that was my experience, my first cap.
1: The Henshaws Insurance Group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers in the country and is here to bring you peace and mind. We've been in business for over 50 years and have offices in Newport, Shrewsbury and Stafford. Our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance. And we offer a free, no obligation, consultations and quotations. So give us a call today. You played in the first Rugby World Cup in 1987 and it is still Wales, Wales's most successful World Cup of all time. Mm. Wales finished third. What Mm. are your memories of that tournament?
3: It's World Cups, back, it, it was a leap into the unknown. Uh, it was the first World Cup. No one knew what to expect. We didn't know what was going to happen out there, how many people come and watch us. And um, we just knew we were, we were in New Zealand and Australia. So it was two countries, you know. Um, so we played some of our games in New Zealand, the majority of our games in New Zealand, and some games in um, in Australia. So And a couple of countries were based in Australia as well. So it was a bit of a leap into the unknown. But I loved it. It was six, seven weeks, it went well, um, other than we had a bit of a pummeling in the semi-final. Uh, we were down to 14 men very early and had a pummeling against, I would say, probably the best team I've ever played against, which was the 87-88 all-black side. They were an astonishing side and and, and, and way ahead on the journey to, to becoming you Know what rugby is these days, a uh, lot further along the line than anybody else would. And um, but we managed to um to beat Australia in the third, fourth place game, and that was in Rotorua, where the majority of the supporters there weren't Welsh, were supporting Wales against Australians. As you can imagine, you're <laughs> in New Zealand, uh, nearly every uh New Zealand supporter was supporting Wales on that day for obvious reasons. So um, yeah, it was a big win for us, and um but the experience of playing in a world cup you know considering what it is now and the massive event it is now it's in a, you know it's um you know one of the, the biggest sporting events in the world now in terms of viewing figures in terms of attendance and so on it really is it's a massive event and um, obviously the next one's going to be in France in 2023 and again that's going to be you know blow the box office as, as well hopefully on that so it's you would not we weren't really sure what to expect, and we, we weren't aware of how big it was going to become, but we knew we were the start of something special. And it was a privilege to be out there now. And I played in another couple on top of that in 91 and 95. But 87 was a leap into the unknown. And um, I'm glad we took the leap because it's been, you know, because there were some doubters out there whether rugby could support a World Cup. Um, that's been knocked out of the park. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. it's put on a global event um, that reaches millions of people uh, across the globe.
2: That um, team in the 80s, early 90s, the Welsh team, was a very, very successful team and still people to this day talk about the team of the 80s. What made that team so special? What made that team so good?
3: Well, it's I was quite fortunate to have played over a fairly long period for Wales. My career started in 1987. and went on to 1998 so it's a long period and you know uh, it's going to ebb and flow you know there are there are parts you know where because we're a relative we're a small country you're going to have peaks and troughs you know where, where a new generation passes through and you wait for the next one you know when i was captain in the early 90s it was a bit of a struggle we were trying to find the next generation that comes through but in the 80s we, we had some you know, really talented players, Jonathan Davis, Robert Jones, you know, some really exceptional players uh, who graced the edges over many years and some of the best players in their world, you know, in their relative positions. And so, you know, you enjoy, that's why it's so important, you enjoy your moments of success because you never know what's around the corner. You know, things, it's, the margins are tiny. You can go from hero to zero very quickly uh, and back again, but you work hard. You ensure you keep improving, you keep developing, you keep learning because, you know, there's always somebody else. Uh, there's always somebody else either against you or uh, competing for your position or for the opposition. And you always got to measure yourself against the best. And, you know, having enjoyed periods of success, you know, having lifted six nations or five nations was when I played. But also battling at the bottom end of the um of some of, the, some of the games as well, where it's not, things aren't been going well, but you've got to keep battling, you've got to keep working and try to, you know, improve the situation. That's all you can do. You can only influence what you can influence.
1: The following year is 1988 Wales, who joint winners of the Five Nations with France. This is the last time the championships have tied. What are your memories of that
3: tournament? I thought it was a it was a, we played a really exciting uh brand of uh, of rugby. We we played some of those games with four outs and halves on the field. Um I claimed to be an at half because of what I did in school. I <laughs> wanted um because I, that's when I started playing my rugby. I was at uh, nine and ten, and then they found I couldn't pass or kick. So they gradually moved me out to the fringe under the wing and I found my my uh I found my position. But we went out there with genuinely four tens on the field, you know, players like we had Jonathan Davies, we had uh, Breden Bowen, Mark Ring, Anthony Clement. We were all tens for their clubs, so it's you can understand we we're a, we a strong football inside. We were the biggest pack, we, um, but as long as we won and we had a terrific line at forward in Bob Noster, so as long as we um, we had a ball playing pack, we we're comfortable handling the ball. So, to a certain extent, a little bit ahead of the time, it was that type of of, of game we wanted to play, and some of the games in that tournament. Unfortunately, we lost a game, probably we should have won against France um, to win the Grand Slam. And I've gone close twice now and failed at the final hurdle. should have won the Grand Slam, ended up winning the tournament, but not the Grand Slam. But that's some of those games, there was one against um, Scotland here in Cardiff, uh, which was just a sensational game. Was, you score, we score. You score, we score and uh, Anyway, and flowed. Everton flowed. Wales traditionally, Wales Scotland games tend to be like that. They're fast flowing, fast moving, uh, which suited us. You know, we'd gone to Twickenham, won at Twickenham, and um, uh, it was, and it, that was the the nature of the game moving forward and good periods, enjoying the good parts, and you know, enduring the bad parts and getting through it and working hard to change things. But I won my first four games against England. Um, but then didn't win the next four. Um that's that's how it works. And we'd went in, took it up and we played a brand of rugby that really excited us as players as well as the crowd. And that game against Scotland was was symptomatic of that really really ebbed and flowed. And when you got players like uh, as supremely talented as Jonathan Davis, Mark Ring, you do end up playing the rugby that suits them and they played fast moving, they attacked. Whenever they could, wherever on the field, let's have a go. And um, it was it was a ball. You know, we, we didn't really have the biggest pack. We ended up going to New Zealand that year against a dominant pack. but We didn't get the ball basically. It was their ball. It was in, we were in their country. And they weren't giving it to us. So um, <laughs> so it was um, yeah. But playing that tournament really was. It was a joy, and that joy to play that type of rugby, and particularly on the wing, uh, you know you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a chance. I'll get it of all and um and you love the fact that you backed each other to go ahead and take the game on it wasn't been you wouldn't we weren't frightened of making errors we just backed ourselves because that was the only way we could play. You um, played rugby
1: before the game turned professional. Did you have another job when you played rugby and what was it like playing rugby before it became a professional sport?
3: Yeah it's um Quite fortunate, professionalism only came in in 1995, and so it's come towards the back end of my career. So I only got about two or three years out of um professional rugby. And I, I suppose what professional rugby does is it allows you to be the best you could possibly be. In the amateur, in my amateur period, um, you still had jobs. You worked. You trained when you could. Generally, always had to be in the evenings after work. And so it's if you want to be an elite athlete, it didn't allow you to to reach those sort of heights. Now, it's all relative. If everybody else is doing the same thing, the competition is still the same level. But as soon as, you know, it it looked as it was coming to a a more professional area, some countries were ahead of the game there. And you were then, you weren't quite on level, on a level playing field, so to speak. So, you know, it was a slightly, it was a totally different ethos in the, uh, in an amateur era because you had roles, you know, your, your employers were unofficial sponsors of the game because they give you time off in the summer. to disappear on tour for four, five, six, seven weeks, playing World Cups, going Lions tours and so on. And they got benefit from that to a certain extent, but without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we did. And that's always been the case, you know. Whether you're a teacher like you, Adam, and so on, people are giving you time off to do things. What professionalism allowed was allowed you to be the best you could be. You weren't going to go out there, and feel tired after the day's work and so on you know it's and as soon as that allowed us to develop it your standards improved, your fitness levels improved as a as a game everything changed you know and it's game got quicker the game got you know levels of performances increased skill levels increased and but again it's all relative competition is relative isn't it it's all depending on who you play in a game and so on but I enjoyed the period that I had as a professional player. I'd have probably enjoyed it a bit more. I think my bank manager would have enjoyed it even more. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's. I also enjoyed the fact that I was able to play through an amateur time uh, as well. We can look at roasting glasses sometimes through, remember those days, and, you know, it's, and you do forget the bad parts. I just concentrate on the good parts. But, you know, it was enjoyable to do that. You, you, you were able to focus on other areas and on other parts of life other than playing rugby as well. And that brings and sometimes you can be too sort of focused on something where you need to have a, a healthy perspective around you as well. And having a job allowed you to do that. But I yeah, I, I think I would have enjoyed i would, I would have benefited in, in terms of my performance levels by being professional for a bit longer. Um
1: you went to Australia with the Lions in 1989. What are your memories of that tour?
3: It was a very long tour. It was my first Lions tour. And I grew up watching Lions 1971, 19, you know, 1974, you know, legendary Lions tours, you know, where players like, you know, my heroes, Gareth Edwards, Gerald Davis, David Duckham, Mike Gibson. Barry John, Phil Bennett, and, you know, all these players. You can list the players off and having the ability to play on a Lions tour and emulate their achievements, you know, where, you know, it's the same thing when you play, you know, the same feel I have when I play for for Wales, you know, where my heroes and my dad's heroes all played, you know, and I want to do the same. And having watched those tours, you think I'd love to know what it's like. Because, you know, going with a bunch of strangers, they literally were strangers who we got together um, literally a week before traveling and then gel a team. That's incredibly challenging, but so rewarding and so fulfilling. And you make lifelong friends from that, from different walks of life, from different countries, different backgrounds. And we had a, we had a, we had a, going back to that 89 tour, we had a, a, a dinner uh, to celebrate 20 years there were literally players from there that I hadn't seen since we got off the plane at Twickenham, at Heathrow rather, at the end of the trip. But we started a conversation in this dinner to celebrate, you know, the success of that trip. You carried on conversation as if, as if you just got off the team bus. That's what friendship is. That's what Lions told are it about. It's as if you just got off the team bus. But you hadn't. You hadn't seen each other for decades. But that's what real friendship is about. And that's what... Lions' memories, lions create. You make real friendship because, particularly when you're playing away from home um, in the country, far, you need your friends. And rugby is a game where friendship is really important. It's a physical game. You need mates. You need your mates. I've got your back covered. And um, Lions Tours generate that because it can't survive without it. It needs Lions Tour, needs competition more than anything else. It's the lifeblood. But it, all, but it also needs friendship, genuine friendship and camaraderie. And um, it has that in abundance. And I think back to 1989 and the players, and I'd say that the, the finest captain I've ever played and uh, uh, Finley Calder was captain on that trip. And we lost the first game badly. And it's the only Lions tour that's ever lost the first test and come back to win a series. Because generally, you start well, and you tail off the end because you run numbers tired, you're at the end of a long, hard season yourselves, whereas the home nation are in the middle or early in their season, so they're fresh. You tend to tire, you lose some of your better players because of injuries and so on and so forth. So we lost the first test, lost it badly, and um, we turned it around. And we turned it around because there was competition in the squad. And talk about that competition being the lifeblood of any Lions tour. We won a midweek game where several of our midweek side didn't play the test. First test that we lost badly, really stood up and said, "Pick me for the second test." That competition and um, brought that sort of healthy sort of vibe back into the squad after a bad loss. And it changed it. We made changes for the second and the third test, and we won the series. And it's I will always live long in my heart is how we turned it around and how true character can come to the fore, what it did in that trip. That competition, the level of talent, we had people like uh, Jeremy Guscott, outstanding uh, on that trip. You know, he really was. Mike Teague was player of the series from Gloucester. Uh, they were brilliant, outstanding. We had a massive pack, primarily based on the England pack. People like Dean Richards, Mike Teague, um, Paul Ackford, where Dooley, you know, really strong. Brian Moore. Really strong mentally, physically, ready for the battle, and it was a battle. But winning that Test series was uh, was was a great achievement and a great way to start off. A um, you know, I wasn't aware I was going to go on a, on on some other Lions tours. I did, uh, but what a great way to start a Lions uh, career uh, with a Test series win against um, against Australia, you know, who ended up being world champions in in two years later.
1: I completely agreed about the um, what you mentioned earlier with the whole bond in rugby. That yes. was a great message, by the way.
3: I, it's something we should, you know, I don't think we, we, we're never likely to forget it because it's so necessary, but it's such a massive, the greatest benefit I've had from playing rugby are the friendships it's created mm-hmm. and their lifelong friendships. You know, it's um, because you, when it's a necessity, you need it, you can't play rugby on your own. But also it's you know, you rely on each other so much. It's um, and you do make friends and they stay friends for a long, long and you know, you don't always speak and you don't you know catch up that often, but when you do, it's as if you just finished talking half an hour before.
1: We spoke to David Campisi on a few weeks ago, and he very kindly gifted you a try that won the series for the Lions. <laughs> Can you tell us that moment and have you mentioned it to him since?
3: I'm too polite. Well, I, I, I think I'm too polite to finish it. Uh, it's been mentioned to him several times, but not necessarily from me, but from other girls. It was a really tight uh, game and uh, he got roasted unfairly because this is man, in 1991, was the key player in Australia winning a World Cup. Brilliant player. Campo was, a, was such a talented, one of the most naturally gifted players I've ever played against. And his plus column more than, more than sees out his minus column. But it was a really tight and very few opportunities to score and it ended up coming in an error. It, it was an awful drop kick attempt by Rob Andrew. Uh, it was heading towards the corner flank. That's how bad it was. And um, Campo, as he always did, looked for an opportunity to counter-attack. And in fact, he, earlier in the game, he had counterattacked and um, beaten me fairly and squarely from deep because uh, I went for a dummy rather than uh, uh, rather than standing off a little bit. Uh, but he tried to he he, he double he double guessed and went for the didn't go for the dummy went for the pass and I sort of double guessed as well and um, I followed the pass and um, got knocked on and I just fell on it. Uh, I only had to go about a foot. But end of the evening, I think it was more about 40 yards I scored from, but it was about uh it was only about a foot. But I also, another sort of um, story from that game, um, it was one of the first stadiums, Sydney Football Stadium, it was a brand new stadium. And uh there was a big screen, massive big screen, one of the first times I'd ever seen a big screen in a stadium. So, you know, you sort of on the wing, you sort of catch up to see if I can see myself on the screen as you do it, you know. See, showing my locks as I had back then, my my uh, my wavy hair, and all of a sudden it focused on me for some strange reason. I was looking up because it, it was a break. The scrum was was um, being reset, so the camera was on me. And all of a sudden, there's something moving by my feet. I look down. I'm standing in the middle of the park now. 49, 50 odd thousand people there, uh, live on TV, massive audience watching us, and so on. And all of a sudden. This thing starts moving and there's a rabbit by my feet <laughs> uh, in the middle of a game so i sort of bend down grabbed it this thing is petrified this 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 animal is petrified i pick him up and he's shaking and i said sort of, what the, what do i do the game is still going on so um you know so I didn't, other than you know waiting for the scrum to reset there wasn't a stop in play. so so i basically ran over Handed it to a steward by the side of the pitch and said, Here we are. And he's looking horrified he as if, what, what am I going to do with this? And just <laughs> run back the position before anybody noticed. You know, so I saved. Hopefully I saved. I don't know what, I don't know what happened. Hopefully the rabbit lived a long, enjoyable and fruitful life with a massive family. Uh, but I can't promise that was the case. But I did hand it over to a steward in the middle of a game. Hopefully they became rugby enthusiasts. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> So I, yeah, I managed to score a try through, um, through an error, but I also um, found a rabbit as well, rescued a rabbit. As a podcast, we
1: wanted to raise our money and give back to our community. Therefore, we have decided that on Tuesday the 14th of June, we will be doing a podcast marathon. We will be interviewing a number of different guests all day to raise money for two great causes. We have decided to raise money for two amazing charities, both... ...of the charities have been set up by guests we have found on the podcast. The first charity is the Little Rascals Foundation. This is a foundation that has been set up by former Wolves footballer Dave Edwards. The foundation supports children with special needs in the West Midlands... ...by providing exclusive play sessions, outreach activities, holiday clubs and more. Our second charity is the Lewis Moody Foundation... The aim of this foundation is to fund vital research into brain tumours, reduce diagnosis times and give families affected much needed respite as well as the chance to create some special memories. We would really appreciate it if you could sponsor us and support either one or possible both of these amazing charities. You can find out how to donate by visiting our social media platforms. Just search TWS Sports Podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram to find out how to donate. Thank you. Four years after your uh, tournament in New Zealand with the Lions, this was a very close season that you lost 2-1. Yeah. And uh, what are your memories of that tour?
3: Yeah, I, I I enjoyed the tour in terms of... I. Uh, um, I played some of my best rugby on that trip, personally, but it's also one of my biggest disappointments. You know, if it's two big disappointments in my in my life is not seeing at the Grand Slam twice for Wales, one of them as captain, and the other one is not winning a Test series the Lions in New Zealand. You don't get chances to win Test series for Lions uh, in New Zealand that often, and um, we didn't really. It was a team that that. Should have won the Test Series. Um, had the opportunity to win a Test Series. And um, we didn't see it through. And that's still one of my biggest disappointments uh, and frustrations in my rugby career. We didn't win that Test Series in 1993. As much as I enjoyed the series and enjoyed the tour, I look back and I look back in with, with frustration that we didn't see that home. We should have won that series. Uh, we didn't quite have that competition as a squad that we had in 89 or 97. Uh, and that probably hampered us on that trip, but we should have won it. And you can always turn around and say, well, a couple of refereeing decisions didn't go our way, but ultimately it was in our hands and we couldn't we couldn't see it out. So that's, that's, that's a big frustration for me, but I enjoyed it because when you play as a rugby player, you tend to measure yourself against the best. And generally over my career and since, the best tend to be New Zealand. So you always measure yourself against them and um, when you have an opportunity to beat them, you better be able to take it because it doesn't come around very often. And um that was probably the, my best chance of beating New Zealand uh would have been on that you know series. Yes, we won the test and it you know it's my only test victory against New Zealand, but I loved it more if I won a test series and emulated what the 71 legendary tour did.
1: During our research we read that the midweek team the Lions played came in uh, for a lot of criticism and the squad was divided. Is this true?
3: I I think you know as I said in the, um, about Lions tour generally you need competition. Um, that's how you keep, you sustain your levels, you improve your levels as a tour goes on, and particularly when you want to when, when a test series, which is all three games, so you need that competition, and we didn't quite have that level of competition. The starting test team became this, you know was was wasn't pushed by anybody else. And you need fresh, you need fresh impetus, you need people. Well, you know, you need people to challenge constantly. Competition is the lifeblood of any successful tennis tour, and um, we didn't quite have it then. And that, that we, and uh, it does frustrate when you're up there because you know you need that. It sustains itself. Uh, that healthy competition, that edge, that physicality, that pushing you for better performances. That comes from within. That, that always comes from within. And training sessions need to need to be as intense as games. That's how you, you know, that's how you keep your levels up. And we didn't have it on that trip. And that's that's where a lot of frustration of um, from players it comes from. Your biggest competition should always be from inside the squad, inside the team. That's how you drive performances.
1: Um, you broke your ankle in 1994. What are your memories of that?
3: Oh, you've just brought the memories back, you know?
2: <laughs> not very good memories, aren't you? No, not very good memories
3: at all. It was, yeah, it's unfortunately suffered from quite a few... I dislocated my shoulder several times at a couple of operations and dislocated my ankle in '94. But I was pretty good at recovering from it and pretty good at not having any psychological sort of scars. Uh, and they're sometimes deeper than the, the physical scars, uh, particularly when you play a game like, like, like ours. And so, yeah, it was... It was pretty innocuously. Someone pulled pulled me down, um, and my foot stuck, and then my you know someone some wag from the crowd turned around and said, "Oh, it's, his boots come off." Yeah, problem was my my foot was still in it. So it was yeah, it wasn't um, it wasn't the most pleasant experience. One of my player, one of the, my teammates at the time called Rupert Moon, uh, was on the field with me, and he was stood next to me, and um, uh, I think he still bears the marks where my hand was gra- grabbing onto his side and I was grabbing so hard. Uh, but thankfully, a doctor who probably saved my career, uh, well, not probably, definitely saved my career, happened to watching the game, realised the, the severity of the injury and ran onto the field very quickly. It was the parting of the Red Sea. Everyone disappeared around me other than um, Rupert, who wasn't able to, I think he enjoyed moving away, but he wasn't able to because I was grabbing onto his, onto his side and I wasn't allowing him to go. But then he tried, the doctor put it back in on the field, even though he said, it's. Uh, he's trying to make me laugh and relax, which is very easy to do when, you know, uh, when you're know when sat in a chair, but not when in, you, you're suffering from an injury. And then he said, ah, it's no problem. It's like changing a gear on a Morris Minor. Now, you're too young to remember a Morris Minor, but it's a very old car with a very big gearbox where you really had to move it around. And he said, he put it back in on the field. Sure. I was back playing about four months later, which was... And I was, you know uh, i played in england um this uh, this injury happened in the autumn and i was back playing um end of january so three three and a half months later which was quite a a, a recovery rate really. um whether well, that's down to my daftness uh or my my stubbornness whichever way you want to measure it actually but i had unbelievable support in recovering through physios and doctors and so on but you know yeah, it's uh, it, in many ways being able to recover quickly sort of defines the shape, you know, uh, your 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 stubbornness and your determination to to succeed. I oh, I wasn't gonna let uh, an injury stop me from getting back on our field again.
1: You captained Wales when they won the 1994 Five Nations. Mm-hmm. That must have been a very special tournament for you.
3: Yeah, it was, but again, it's it's go back to my previous point as regards to frustration, it's also frustrating as well. It's an incredibly proud to lift the trophy, and you know, your name gets engraved on the trophy as the cap as the as the um the captain who receives the trophy of Her Majesty, which was uh, wonderful, but also frustrating in the fact we lost the final game against England. You know, and I talked we lost the final game against France back in 1988. And did exactly the same this time, but against England, in Twickenham. So how it was nice to lift a trophy in, uh, in Twickenham uh, as a wayside, but it would be, uh, be even nicer to lift it as a Grand Slam winner as well as a tournament winner. But we played some really good rugby uh, on that, in that tournament. We just failed at the final hurdle, um, which was disappointing and frustrating. But nevertheless, still a sense of achievement when you reflect later on, thinking, yeah. It was nice to win, considering we hadn't won anything for a few years uh, prior to, it was a major step in the right direction.
1: You then toured South Africa with the Lions in 1997. This was another great tour where the Lions won the Series 2-1. What are your memories of that tour?
3: Uh, Yeah, it really Happy memories, um, a little bit bittersweet um, because I played the first test and then tore my groin, uh, yet another injury, um, and tore the groin, my groin which came off the bone. So I was I was out for longer with that injury than I was with my uh, ankle injury. So I didn't play the second test, which was the clincher for the series. My tore was over, and I, the bittersweet part of it is not being part of the second test. Um, but be part of a first test, which was a you know, which is a great win in Newlands, which is one of my favorite stadiums in Cape Town. But I'd flown my my mum and dad, um my wife, my wife at the time, my, my my we were engaged to be married, uh, with my baby daughter as well, uh, to watch the second test. And by the time they arrived, uh, my test series was over. So they didn't get to see me face the weather. So uh so that's the bittersweet element. As much as the tour was a massive success and hugely enjoyable. I would have liked to have played the second test as well in front of my mum and dad, but it wasn't to be. And we still managed to clinch a famous victory and a, and a test series, um, which should get any test series away from home, you treasure. You know, I treasured '89 and I treasure '97. even though I well, wasn't able to see it out in the second test. But uh, still a great, uh, a great time and um, still some warm memories and some great friendship.
1: That tour was the first to have a behind-the-scenes documentary called Living with the Lions. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy having the camera around you
3: all the time? It was a little bit different. You know, I think certain players are going to enjoy it a bit more than others, should we say. Uh, but, you know, it was, you weren't quite sure. I don't think anybody realised the success of that, that programme, uh, that that you know, that, that the success became that behind-the-scenes, the mystique of the lions to what happens in a lions to what happens on toes and so on, uh, and how you gel, how you bond, and I think that's what people relate to. Uh, and you touched on it, Tom, right at the start of of, of our chat, of the bond, that friendship's important, and people are able to see it develop on in through that program. And so, you know, um, we weren't quite aware of how successful that would become and what what it would mean to the lions. You know, and the lions these days in terms of you know the popularity where it's how special it is for people, for players and supporters alike. And people travel across the world. Obviously, we weren't able to on the last last Lions tour because of COVID in South Africa. So no crowds are able to travel. But I'm sure for the next one, there'll be a massive list of people wanting to go because, you know, uh, people really love the the idea of players coming together, countries coming together into one entity, one team to travel and, and take on a team in their own backyard. And that that program uh, helped drive that as well. You know that that sort of that intrigue, that um, curiosity with what, happened, what what the Lions is about, you know, helped that enormously. And it wasn't too from our perspective; it wasn't that intrusive. You know, it's um, you know, and it was it was you learned to cope with it. To be honest, you learned to live with it, and um, you know, didn't let it get in the way. You know. Uh, I was, I, I was more inclined, other than a couple of the court cases, I kind of keep myself a little bit more into the background than, than, than others. But um, it was, you know, it just shows, give you a little sliver of what it's like to be on tour and the importance of that friendship and the hard work that goes into any successful uh, endeavour like that.
1: We received lots of messages on social media and our email from our listeners about autism. So we decided that each week on the podcast, we want to answer some of your questions. So it is time for Autism Question of the Week.
2: So this week's question comes from a listener. And the question is, how does being autistic affect
1: your mental health? Um, Well, as I always say, it has pros and cons with my mental health and autism. Um, I'm still grateful for it because I've learned to be also grateful of the um not only the benefits like previously and in the past of it but also from like almost like trauma in a sense like where i had like negative memories of my anger issues in the past but luckily when i do get angry it it takes a lot to like hit me like for example if an argument's building up and it seems like just everyone shouting so um besides from that um it's mostly positive um which i'm grateful for you are one of a handful of players to go on three lines tour. So a few questions for you. Which tour was your favorite and which lines team was the best one you played in and
3: why? I'd say I, I'd say 89 uh, was my favorite. It was my first, it was successful. Um, for a reason I talked a coming back and losing the first test. To the, um, I'm being part of it and start to finish. I probably played my best rugby 93, but I would probably say, and, and 97 was, a, was 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 great fun and, and very successful. But I'd, I'd say 89 on both parts. Yeah, for both parts of that question, 89 Lions.
1: You played your final game for Wales in 1998. Why did you decide to retire? And what are your memories of your last game? Well, it's it wasn't in
3: uh, it was against Italy. And Italy at the time weren't part of the Six Nations; it's still Five Nations. So it was the scene before they 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 joined. Really, and um, it was a game uh, played at Stradi Park rather than in Cardiff. And it was, I suppose, there's a there's a sort of symmetry there, really, you know, because um, then I played the majority of my career, even though I in a, in Stradi Park. I suppose there's, there's there's a symmetry there that my last game for Wales would have been the park as well even though i went on to the to the wreck by that point i'd moved on to the to, to, um, to bath to play but it's very early particularly when you're on the wing and you rely on on your legs basically your speed um your agility and so on i was uh, 34 i just to the 34th age and at times you like you you, you your leg knows, your, your legs know, your body knows, actually, no, it's time to call it quits. I wasn't able to quite produce the left performances that I was used to, and my country expected of me, and to play international rugby, there's no hiding place. And I decided at that point, actually, physically, you know, the all those injuries I'd suffered were starting to take their toll. And I wanted to focus one one more year uh, at a, you know, on at a club level, we were on to win um, behind the game cup with Bath that year, a couple of months later. So it's you know I was still able to perform, but international rugby when you're representing your nation, as I said, demands just a little bit more. Um, well, not a little bit more, a lot more. And my body wasn't able to do it anymore. But as far as I was concerned, I was comfortable with the call. You know, I played 11 years of international rugby. You know, I'll take I'll take it. Thank you very much. Move on and um, get someone else an opportunity to to take over the mantle. Would you prefer to play would be now or back then you do and why? I think I'd love to play now. Obviously not a 50, 70 years of age. Um, uh, but uh, I think I'd like to play now, yes. You know, in terms of the level of, of preparation, the quality of the playing services, everything, the ability with sports, science, improvement to be the best uh, you, can pro- you can possibly be. I'd love that. Um, so yeah, I, I you know, I, I treasure my my time. You treasure your moment in the sun. You move on. You leave it to the next generation to enjoy their moments. Uh, and I don't envy them at all. Alan um, wouldn't want to deny them their opportunities. But would I like? But if if given a choice, yeah, I'd love I'd love to play now.
1: Throughout your career, you must have seen lots of jokes and pranks when playing for Wales. And the Lions. So in your career, who were the Jokers and what was the best prank you saw?
3: Um, who were the Jokers? Do, 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 do. Rob Jones was always great company. It uh, was always really funny to be around. Glenn Webb was always good fun to be around. Mike Teague, really good company. Really, really good fun in terms of prank and trying to think, uh, you're always people, you know, messing up each other's rooms and so on, and uh, you're always piles of that and doing stuff you really don't want to talk about live on air. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah, lots of pranks. The majority of them are probably not to be repeated, but um, yeah, lots of really good companies and it's it people you in, you would enjoy being in the company now. You enjoy being in the company now, and you know. Going back to what I said at the outset, that friendship—it's—it's it's true, it's long-standing, it's unbreakable, really. Um, would I spend an evening in their company? Of course, I would, and hopefully, we'll have many more evenings in each other's company in the future.
1: Since retire, you have done a lot of TV work. Do you like working on TVs?
3: Yeah, I I I, I long I worked for majority of the channels and World Cups with 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 ITV, BBC, uh, and obviously uh, a long career with Sky, and um, you you don't quite get the same buzz as a player, but it's the process you're going to get uh, as you get older. You still get that benefit of being in electrifying occasion, seeing the best sportsmen in the world on the field, and you get the best seats in the house and getting paid for it. It's not like you know it's. So, yeah, I've enjoyed it, and um, I love TV, and it's live TV, again, it's it's there's an addictive element to live TV as well, where you're thinking, three, two, one, and you've got a director in a year saying, yeah, here we go, live on air, all of a sudden you're off, uh, and, you, and you can't remember, as soon as the game, you can't remember anything of it afterwards, and as soon as you start, it's over. So, I've been quite privileged to follow followed Lions Tours and World Cups and European rugby and, and so on, and watching your country play. And I said, I'm in the best seats in the house. It's, you know, yeah, I'm very humbled to have, an op- to have the opportunity to to lead my nation and play for my nation. But I'm also kind of, so very privileged to have been involved in TV as well. It's um, very lucky man.
1: You recently did a TV programme with Shane Williams. What was it about and did you enjoy it?
3: It was uh, it was great fun, um, and it was based on the Six Nations, um, all the capital cities. So, starting with we Cardiff, we went to Rome, we went to Paris, we went to London, with we Dublin, and with we Edinburgh. Um, and it was a reflection on our memories of playing in, in this magical tournament, the Six Nations. I mean, the colour, the vibrancy, the support, the travelling support—it's the envy of the world. Into and, and the world of rugby in terms of what what it brings. Um, so it was for, for both Shane and myself, it was a like a love story for the six nations, what it means to us. We caught up with old friends, um, Will Carling, um, you know, Frank Menel, Jean-Baptiste LaFond in France, uh, Finley Calder and John Jeffrey up in Scotland, Tommy Bowe, you know, uh, Rob, uh, Robin McBride out in Dublin, You know, so it really was Gerald Davis in Cardiff. So it really was a step back in time for us and our all memories, but also what the trip was about for supporters, going to fabulous cities, going to see, you know, know, on a boat trip on on the Seine, going up the Eiffel Tower, going to uh, Parc de France. Um, We were lucky enough to go there as well and going back to a ground that I hadn't been to since I finished playing because it's no longer the stadium de France So it's nice recapturing some of those memories. Uh, obviously, Aviva Stadium is a little bit different from Lansdowne. You know, uh, it's in pretty much the same spot, but it's changed. Um, so going back and talking about the old stadiums, Twickenham's changed fundamentally since you know the stadium that I was there, uh, that I played in front of. You know, part of it is still the same, others have changed. You know, go, uh, Murrayfield also changed much as this stadium, Principality Stadium has changed since the stadium I was there as well. So seeing a lot of that. And it really was, it was a really enjoyable and really enjoyed Shane's company. uh, Really good. We didn't really know each other that well, even though we're from uh, the same part of the world, but we had so many similarities in how we are, how we talk um, very, uh, I I really enjoyed the time it's been, you know, and uh, as we both said afterwards, you know, we, we made new friends, you know, we really enjoy the company and, you know, um, who knows we might do something else in the future but it really enjoyable i enjoyed his company we, we had some great times and uh, uh, i'll treasure doing the program it really was we, we it was full-on in terms of the time commitment and so on but we were quite fortunate to get to see what, what we saw and um yeah very privileged to do so can you teach us some whilst please uh, yeah but the problem um well which is, thank you for the warm welcome um, you gave me for this programme. Thank you for, for the invite. And probably the greatest word in the Welsh language, which is, which is a hug. <laughs> wow. That's, That's good to know. I didn't
1: know
0: that.
3: What are your thoughts on this year's Six Nations? Well, do you know what I'm looking forward to more than anything else? It's crowds. We're going to get crowds back from the Sikh Nation. The sick Nation is about crowds. It's about that colour. It's about that noise. It's about people travelling to Edinburgh, to Dublin, to London, to Paris, to Cardiff. Um, and seeing the crowds there back there. Uh, and, you know, the pain and the, uh, the hardship people have endured throughout COVID. You know, having the opportunity to, to fill a stadium and watch international rugby in this great tournament of ours. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to more than anything else uh, and hopefully a successful tournament for us as well in Wales I
1: would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast we really appreciate it please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family thank you for taking the time to chat with us today we uh, really enjoyed speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you.
3: My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for some great questions and uh, an ability to have a chat. And um, I love a chat, as you can probably tell.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, John. I hope we brought back some nice memories for you there. Certainly have. Um, thank you so much. Are you at the Prince Stadium now? Are you?
3: Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. I got a couple of meetings here, so. Ah. Can
2: you see the pitch from where you are?
3: No. No, I'm I am facing the at Westgate. At the
2: moment, he's in the um, capital city, capital stadium of Wales. Okay. Yeah. I'll show you after. That's I'll Google cool. it for you after.
1: So that explains the background. That explains the yeah. fire alarm. Yeah, both <laughs> yeah, <bye> of <for> those. <laughs> the pitch <song>. yeah.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. Jaren, thank you so much and best yeah. of luck for everything in the future. Thank, really, you. Thank, thank you so much. Beautiful.
3: It's uh, really, I really enjoyed my time. Thank you very much indeed and best of luck.
2: Brilliant.
3: Thank you. See Thank you, you soon. Thank you. See
2: you.
1: We'll, Take
3: care. We'll bow, Which is goodbye, Welsh.
1: So, boys, Yarin's just gone. How did you find that episode? How do you think it went? I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, and I also liked the part where I mentioned about why retired. Wasn't it back in 1998?
2: Yeah, I think it was against Italy. After you joined towards the end of the episode. Yeah. Is there any part of the episode that stands out for you?
1: Um, my favorite interest, is he's talking about his uh, documentary about the lions and he's talked about uh, about his teammates, actually, about his friendship, actually. That's it, really.
2: Yeah, so yeah. that was an interesting documentary. I've seen the documentary. It's actually really, really interesting um, to watch it. So if you ever get a chance, do go and watch Living With The Lions. Um, it's a fascinating documentary and it shows a really good behind-the-scenes footage of, of the tour. Boys, congratulations again. Both did another fantastic job interviewing Jairn. So all the best. Hope you have a good week.
1: And we will see you all next week. See you again soon. again soon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the TWS Sports Podcast. Please follow us on social media by searching TWS Sports Podcast. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch some of our episodes in full. If you are listening to this on your iPhone, can you please go and give us a rating and review it? It really helps to grow
0: our show. Thank you and see you next week. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.